Amen. Well, we just finished last week a, a series entitled Acts 2.42, where we were looking at those principles discovered there. And uh, some weeks back, the Lord actually put something into my heart, dropped a certain amount of scripture that, um, that, that he, be, he began to have me meditate on. And uh, several passages, and, and I, I feel like the Lord would like me to share with you out of these passages. And the passages that the Lord was bringing to my mind were those passages that begin with, Do you not know? Or sometimes it's phrased, Have, have you not known? Have you not heard? There are a number of passages in the Scripture where God's Word asks that question, Do you not know? Have you not known? Have you not heard? And then usually after that question is asked in the scripture, he then proceeds to declare those things that he desires us to know. And it's, it's posed often in, in, this, in a negative way. In other words, the, que- the question is not do you know or have you known, but rather do you not know? Have you not known? And the way the question is phrased, it seems to imply that what is what the Lord is asking is that, look, this is something that you should know. This is something that maybe you need to remember. You do know it, but you need to be reminded of it. Almost as if the Lord is trying to kind of jar our memory to something that he's already revealed and declared, but something that needs to be strengthened, something that needs to be uh, restated in our hearts. You know, Jesus would often say, let him who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying. You know, it's possible to hear the words and yet not hear or take to heart the truth that's being revealed. It's also possible to forget those things that we have once heard and known. And oftentimes, the Lord seems to come to us by way of reminder. In fact, in 2 Peter, you don't need to turn, but in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12, the Apostle Peter says this, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. I'm going to continue to remind you of these things. You see, the Lord knows that we need reminding. And he desires to emphasize certain things over and over because they are essential for us to live fruitful, well-lived spiritual lives. And Jesus said this, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And I've discovered in my own Christian walk that oftentimes when my life is not really experiencing what I would call the abundant life that Jesus promised, it's because I have forgotten some of those promises, some of those truths that the Lord has spoken into my heart. Through distraction, my my life drifts. You know, and there are times when we can, you know, we're, we're trying to live for the Lord, but we get off course. Sometimes it ends in disobedience and sin or discouragement, frustration, despair, and that abundant life seems to elude us. And so oftentimes we need to reset our heart and and as if the Lord needs to say, hey, don't you remember some things? Do you not know? Have you not heard? Let me tell you again, the things that I have promised, the things that I have established, 
and let those become foundational in your heart once more. Again, quoting from Peter, 2 Peter 1.3, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. It comes through the knowledge of Christ and what He has spoken into our hearts. And sometimes we just need to be reminded, don't you know, haven't you heard? Lord, tell me again. Speak it into my heart again. So in these next few weeks, I'd like to speak to you about the passages that kind of re-establish those principles. So I'm calling this series, if you will, the, the Do You Not Know series. And we'll look today and in a, few, and a, a couple more weeks following. Today, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like you to open the Word with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 40. Isaiah, chapter 40. And we will see this phrase where the Lord asks those questions, Have you not known? Have you not heard? Now, the context for Isaiah, chapter 40. Isaiah, of course, was an Old Testament prophet. He ministered. Uh, into the nation of Israel, primarily the southern kingdom known as Judah. And he ministered to them during a time when they were turning away from the Lord. And so he was speaking of a coming judgment against them as a nation. But much of his prophecy also would look past the judgment and would actually speak words of comfort and encouragement into future generations that the Lord saw coming. And what we see in chapter 40 is actually one of those places where the Lord is trying to speak a word of comfort for a people that he knows are going to end up into captivity. He's speaking to them before they're in captivity, but he knows that when they're in captivity, they're going to need some encouragement and comfort and some hope and some promise. And these words are given For that time yet to come. And they would of course come. And they would become precious. In the heart of those that would need them. Needing that word in season. And this is often the way the Lord works in prophecy. He foretells things that that are yet to come. Not just so we can know the future. But rather so that when the future arrives. We can know that God foresaw it. Declared it. And in so doing, that gives us a comfort that he's still in control. God knew this would come. God saw these things and declared them. So now that they're here, I don't have to wonder what's going on. Everything seems to be spinning out of control. No, just as God has declared them. And so history is simply playing out the way God has foretold it. And that brings comfort into the heart. Jesus in John 16:33 said these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation but be of good cheer I have overcome the world Jesus when he was trying to encourage his disciples he said look these are the things I'm telling you now so that when it happens speaking of the future you'll be at peace. Because in the world, you're going to have tribulation. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be trial. There's going to be uncertain times. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. 
So you're there in Isaiah 40. We won't read the whole chapter, but let's just read some highlights leading up to this phrase that I really want to focus on here today. It starts right there in verse 1. Here's the purpose of these passages. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. And the way he's going to offer comfort is to ask them to consider the greatness and the wonder of the Lord. Sometimes we just need to be reminded of who God is. When circumstances seem overwhelming, you know, God seems small. And sometimes we just need to be reminded of how big He really is. And then circumstances take their proper perspective. Really, they're small in comparison to the great and mighty God. Look at verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand? Talking about all the waters of the earth. (laughs) Who's measured the heaven with a span? Calculated the dust of the earth in a measure? Weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Or has his counselor or or as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel? And who instructed him? And taught him in the path of justice. Who taught him knowledge? And showed him the way of understanding. Who's like God? Who's as strong and powerful as him? Who can measure the universe by the span of his hand? Who holds the waters of the earth in his palm? Who is wise enough to give God counsel? Where did God learn these things? Who taught him? None, of course, can be even compared to him. Not only the Lord, but consider the Lord in relationship to the nations. Look at verse 15. Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as the small dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the aisles. uh, He lifts up the aisles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor its beast sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. What nation or power is stronger than the Lord? What political force, what military might or army can be compared to God? Now you have to remember, this would be written to a a nation of of Jewish, um, you know, people. men and women that had been taken captive. They would be living really in captivity in in the most powerful nation on the earth at that time, Babylon. And then that would be followed by Media Persia. So in Israel's mind, in the Jewish mind, we're just these small, insignificant people living under the the mighty forces of of these powerful nations. And, and, And how can God ever fulfill His purpose in our life in our nation how can we come into the things god's promised us we're we're just slaves amongst this mighty people but god said hey remember something these nations that are so intimidating to you they're but a drop in the bucket they are worthless and less than nothing before the lord they cannot be compared to him verse 18 to whom then will you liken god Or what likeness will you compare to him? 
Can you make an image of him, in other words? The, they, men try. Verse 19, the workman molds an image. The goldsmith overspreads it with gold, and the silversmith casts silver chains. But God cannot be captured in man's idols. God cannot be made in some kind of an image by, by man's feeble attempts. And with that, we come to this first phrase that I want you to notice, and we'll see it twice in this chapter, but here's where I want to bring your attention. Now, you're there with me. The first reminder, if you will, verse 21. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely shall, shall they be planted. Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth when he will also blow on them and they will wither and the whirlwind will take them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Look out into the heavens. Who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. God is calling his people to remembrance. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has this not been declared to you already? You're living under the weight of, of difficult circumstance. You're concerned about the nations that are now lording over you. Really, do you think that they are of any threat to the God who spread out the universe? Remember God. This is a, a call to perspective. And, you know, the princes and the judges, they're nothing before him. All these rulers, all these men that imagine they're, you know, making a difference in the earth. God says, look, God, I'll blow and they'll just disappear like stubble. Scarcely they take root. They're here for but a breath. They're nothing. God is eternal. And again, this was to speak into a heart of a people that were living under the rule. They saw the northern kingdom go under uh, conquest of Assyria. And now Babylon and Persia, it made it look as though the false gods of the Gentiles were stronger than the God of Israel. And God knew that these events happening to them were affecting them at a very national and personal level. And so he says, hey, remember, don't you know? Have you not heard? Do you not know that these things are nothing before me? Now, I, I was thinking of this in, our, in light of our current day in which we live. And I think there's some application for us today as well. I don't know if you've been watching the news of late, but, you know, it seems to me that there are some real crises in the world about us. We see it globally. Certainly in the Middle East, we see things really getting a little crazy. 
And I think even at home, even in our own nation, we're seeing changes and things that, that we've never seen before. And if you don't know the Lord, these things can become very unsettling. To be honest, even if you know the Lord, these things can be unsettling. What's going on? These wars and rumors of wars. These, you know, these Ebola outbreaks and these, these fears and these, these things that are happening in the earth. These terrorists that are... You know, some of them have just become brutal and vicious and they're advancing and gaining territory and and weapons and means. And, you know, we're here in America and we kind of live so far pretty, you know, distant from these things. But you can't help but wonder, Lord, could it come here? Could these things come to our door? It can be very unsettling as we see the things in the earth that are taking place. You know these, but I'll I'll mention them to you. From the headlines, you know that that Russia is currently looking to expand its borders. Troops are gathering even now on the the border of the Ukraine. They've already taken Crimea. They're looking to to expand their borders. There is an Iran, a a terror-supporting nation seeking nuclear weapons with a stated goal of destroying Israel. They think Israel should not exist, and they're looking to get a nuclear weapon. We see a civil war in Syria wherein hundreds of thousands of people have been slaughtered. I mean, these are no small things that are going on. And not only, and out of that uh, Syria civil war, uh, this terror group called ISIS has emerged. Now, this is a brutal group. They, they're advancing in Iraq and Syria. They're threatening to expand their borders. They're persecuting Christians and all religious minorities. Now, when I say persecuting, I mean they are beheading. They are executing. They are crucifying. They are putting their corpses up on crosses in the streets. We're talking about almost demonically, probably demonically inspired hate and terror. And not just one little isolated case. This is a group moving across the Middle East. We see Israel in a battle with the terrorist group Hamas there in Gaza. We see rockets being exchanged and airstrikes. And, you know, the, 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 uh, truce, the peace talks not really able to take footing. You know, I was, um, I was watching uh, recently a, a video uh, on the Calvary Chapel Chino Hills website. I'd heard Jack Hibbs was going to be talking to an Israeli insider and was going to put him on a conference call on a Wednesday night service. So I went on and I listened to it, and I listened to this Israeli insider giving some insight. These are things you won't hear on the news, talking about the conflict And he said, you know, as much as Israel wants to really uh, disarm Hamas and just rid themselves of this terror group, they're not sure they want to completely eliminate them because they don't want to leave a vacuum there in Gaza wherein the group ISIS could step in and begin to take root and power because that would be even worse than Hamas, who is lobbing rockets into their cities. So there's real, real tensions in the earth. And the question is, for us as believers, 
How do we respond to this? Well, first we should remember that, that all of these nations and these troubles have been given to us in the, in the prophetic books as to be expected. Now, I, I'm, this is not intended to be a prophecy update message, so I, I won't go into great detail here. But listen, these nations that I'm mentioning, they are referenced in the Scriptures. Isaiah chapter 17 speaks of a coming destruction upon Damascus. Damascus is the capital of Syria. And it says that the destruction will be so great that the city will not be inhabitable after the destruction. Now, Damascus has been attacked and has had many battles over the years, but it has never been without inhabitants. In fact, it's, the, uh, it's been inhabited longer than any other city in the earth. It's, got the long, it's the oldest city in the world. But the scripture says that that city, that there's a, there's a coming destruction. We can look for that. I don't know how it's going to happen. All I know is that there is great conflict centered around that region, and it could be here upon us. And the scripture speaks of it. Of course, the scripture speaks to us in Ezekiel 38 and 39 about a confederate of nations that would align themselves together and come against Israel in the last days, specifically in the last days after Israel has been regathered from the nations and reestablished as its own nation. We've seen that in our modern history, Israel coming back into existence. And we see now this turmoil around Israel. And some of the nations that are mentioned are nations like Russia, Iran, Turkey, Sudan, Libya. Interesting, the nations that are called out 1,300 years ago by the prophet Ezekiel are now the very nations that we see finding alliance and all of this turmoil there in the Middle East. We know that the nations are moving towards the Lord's planned purposes, and we know that all of this is leading us to the return of Jesus Christ. So as we see these things, we, can, we, can, we have a reminder of Scripture. Hey, have you not known? Don't, do you not know? that God has spoken of these things before they came to pass so that you might know in your heart this is not the world spinning out of control. This is the God who controls all things bringing the world to the return of Jesus Christ. And so we see history playing out exactly as God declared it. And so that gives us comfort. That should help us in our time of uncertainty. How do we respond to these things? Listen, I think it's time to know these things. You should know the Word. Now, you don't have to be an end-time expert. You don't even have to be an end-time prophet to know that something is going on. Study these passages. Listen, Ezekiel 38 and 39, read it for yourself. It, it reads out very, very simply. You can understand what's going on and then simply look for some commentary or end-time teaching that would identify the nations listed. We are living in the last days. We are living in the last of the last days. And these things are upon us. It's time to live for the Lord. It's time to know the Lord. It's time to witness for the Lord. Do you not know? Have you not heard? God is moving in the nations. God is orchestrating history before our very eyes. Don't be afraid. 
The Lord is in control. Rather, be filled with faith. Well, how can we be sure that God has it all under control? How do we know that he's really got it going uh, the way he wants it? Well, again, I remind you of what we've looked at. Look at it with me again. Verse 25, To whom then will you liken me, or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. Talking about the heavens, talking about the universe, talking about the stars in the sky. He calls them all by name. Not one is missing. Remember God. That's what this passage is about. It's no matter what you see amongst the nations. And in in Judah's time, they had their worries and we have ours. But no matter what you see, remember God. And that the nations are nothing before Him. And consider His creation. Consider what He has done. Consider what He has given as testimony to who He is. You know, astronomers estimate that our galaxy, the Milky Way, is host to 400 billion stars. That's a lot of stars. 400 billion. That's just our Galaxy, which, by the way, is just an average-sized galaxy. I mean, after all, it's only 120,000 light years across. That's just average. <laughs> it's estimated by these astronomers and scientists that there are 170 billion galaxies in the known universe. We have an average-sized galaxy with 400 billion stars, but our galaxy is just one of 170 billion galaxies that are estimated to exist in the known universe, stretching 13.8 billion light-years away from us in all directions. So if you do the math, let me do it real quick. Let's see. That is, (laughs) that's a septillion stars. That's one with 24 zeros behind it. That's just in the observable universe. There may be more. Because scientists, are, they concede that we can't, there may be more universes that we don't know about because the light just hasn't had time to reach us yet. And some believe that the observable universe is just a bubble within the total universe. So septillion is just the minimum. And the scripture says that he calls them all by name. Not one is missing. This is the God we're talking about. This is the God that we need to be reminded of here even today. This is the God who is watching over his word to perform it. This is the God that is watching over the nations and the princes and those that make their maneuvers. There is a God who is overseeing it all. And he is a God that loves you. He is a God that is for you. Listen, no matter how big the problem, God is bigger. (laughs) And no matter how strong the opposition, God is stronger. No matter how complicated the circumstance, God is smarter. He's got it figured out. And not just a little bit stronger. 
not just a little bit bigger and smarter, but infinitely above and beyond. Listen, we have to put our circumstances in perspective, don't we? Circumstances are hard sometimes. Trials are real, and, and these things are, are trying. But listen, put them in perspective. This God, the Scripture tells us that He holds us in His hand. God loves me. He is for me. He has made promises to me that nothing will be able to separate me from His love. That nothing can keep me from a glorious, eternal future that He has prepared for me. We are secure in God. His promises are true. He cannot lie. His power and wisdom are unsearchable and He's on our side. Oh, that's good news. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Do I need to remind you today who He is and how He loves you? This is where you start. When you consider your challenges, when you consider your trials, bring it back into perspective with the God who has made promise over you. You know, the Scripture tells us in Romans that even the invisible attributes of God can be clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. Let, let just the stars in the sky remind you of His attributes, His glory, His power, His eternal existence. So if you're here today and you do not know the Lord in a personal way, oh, I want to introduce you to Him. He extends invitation to you through His Son, Jesus Christ. He so loves you and He so wants to have a personal relationship with you. He's not just a far off, somewhere way beyond the galaxy God. He is personal. And He has sent His Son to the cross to die on your behalf. And I hope by the end of the service here, I'll have opportunity to invite Him into your heart. Maybe you do know Him to this morning, but you're not living for Him. Listen, really, do you think that your way can prosper if you live in rebellion against a God that calls the stars by name, that loves you and desires you to walk in harmony and peace with Him. Now, if you don't know the Lord, you need to. And if you're not living for the Lord, you need to come back to Him. Let's look on here. I, I want to finish up here with, the, with the, the second reminder, the second have you not known phrase. But first, God puts it in context. Look at Isaiah 40. Look in verse 27. He, he says this, Why do you say, O Jacob, my people, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my just claim is passed over by my God? You see, Isaiah is speaking to that voice of discouragement. We've all said these things. We've all said, my way is hidden from the Lord. My just claim is being passed over by my God. He doesn't see my situation. He's not aware of my problem. Or if He is, He's just not interested in my case. I have a just claim, but it's being passed over. I have what I think is a legitimate claim and grievance, and yet the Lord does not seem to be helping. He does not seem to be solving. It doesn't seem to be fair. Isaiah says, look, why are you asking these questions? And then he takes us to verse 28. Have you not known? 
Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. You think He's missed your cry? You think He fell asleep? You think He's taking a nap? His understanding is unsearchable. He gives, look verse 29, He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, He increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is a famous passage often quoted. But it's in this context of a of a Jewish nation that was looking at the long road ahead of them and saying, how are we going to survive this? How can we get through this? How come God has abandoned us and left us? We have this claim and yet it's going unattended by the Lord. But the Lord reminds them that He will give them strength. That He will give the strength to those who wait on Him. To those who trust Him to those who remain in close relationship with Him. If you will look to the Lord, He will meet you. We can find this application certainly in our own lives today, can't we? I know I can. Maybe you're tired. But listen, He never faints or grows weary. Maybe you're confused. But His understanding is unsearchable. God has answer, and we must anchor our hope in Him and not in ourselves. He will give the power. He will increase the strength. But notice who He gives it to. He doesn't give it to the self-sufficient of them. He says even the youth and the young men will faint, grow weary, and utterly fall. But rather, He gives it to the weak, to those who have no might, yet to those who are waiting upon Him. He will supply what is needed. You know, there are times in life when we need to soar. We're in so deep. Lord, I just need, a, I need You to airlift me out of here. I need, I, need, I need wings of eagles. And in those occasions when life is in that, at that place, God will provide the soaring strength. There are times when you just need to run. The enemy's in pursuit, troubles at your heels, and you just need to run and not grow weary. And God will provide the strength that you can run and not grow weary. But there will also be times, many times in your Christian life, where you will simply need to walk. One day at a time, through the trial, through the storm, and God will be giving you the strength to walk and not faint. What is needed? That's what will be provided. Yeah, but I don't want to walk. I just want to soar all the time. I want to go right over the troubles. No. In time, there will be times when that will be provided, but there will be times when you just need to run. And then there will be times when God is giving you the strength to walk. It's to those who wait on the Lord. That phrase communicates a couple of things. First of all, it it communicates relationship, doesn't it? 
Waiting on the Lord means that I'm in communication with Him. I'm, 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 I'm letting Him know my heart. The New Testament says, cast your cares upon Him because He cares for you. Make your requests known unto the Lord. It describes a relationship where I'm looking to Him. I'm not looking to my own strength. I'm looking to Him. I'm trusting Him. In fact, I'm depending on Him. God, it's You or it's not going to happen. I'm desperate for You. That is part of the waiting on the Lord. It communicates relationship. But it also communicates the idea of time. Waiting. We don't want to wait. We just want it to happen now, instantly. Fix it, Lord. But those who wait on the Lord, this communicates an idea of enduring, persevering, hanging in there, holding on one day at a time, allowing God to give you the grace to get through today. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow's troubles. Today has enough. Be faithful today and God will get you through. And tomorrow's cares will take care of itself because God will be there to take care of you tomorrow as well. So this waiting communicates a steady, patient walk. Galatians 6.9 Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. I think that this passage really is communicating something of a, a reminding them who God is and reminding them that they just simply need to hang in there. Wait on the Lord. Maybe you're going through something today. Maybe you have a sense of being overwhelmed. It's too big, too big for you. You're not strong enough. You're not able. That's exactly who God wants to strengthen today. That heart that is willing to turn to the Lord, to wait on Him, not to demand, not to, to scheme, not to, to, to complain, but to trust. To be reminded who He is. To reminded what He's promised. Have you not known? Have you not heard? This is who your God is. These are the promises that He has made. The everlasting God. The Creator of the ends of the earth. Listen, he's not, He doesn't faint. He doesn't grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. The young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let me pray for us today. Father, I, I thank you for these reminders Lord, I, I, I think all of us can identify with seasons of life wherein we feel overwhelmed. So much uncertainty, God. So many things pressing in about us, Lord. Financial stresses. Relationship trials and troubles. Health struggles and Lord, so many other things that mount up against us. And, and Lord, circumstances can become so intimidating. And our focus can become so 
intense on what we're going through that we scarcely remember who you are. And we scarcely remember what you've promised. So I I pray for my own heart and for the heart of those here today that you would speak to me, have you not heard? Have you not known? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? This is your God. This is His care for you. This is His love over you. He'll bring you through. Wait on Him. Trust Him. Stay close to Him. Walk with Him. Let Him bring you through in His time and His glory. And know that you will reap if you faint not. Lord, as our heads are bowed here today, I I do want to give opportunity if there are any today that need to respond to these words. Lord, it may be that there are some here that simply do not know you in a personal way. They do not have that relationship even established to begin to wait on you. And I'm talking to those as your heads are bowed. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, if you've never received Christ, you've never allowed Him to come into your life and forgive you and cleanse you of your sins, you've never put your faith and trust in what He has accomplished for you at the cross, oh, today's the day to begin a walk and journey with Him. I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to invite with you, Christ, into your life. Or maybe you're here today and you need to rededicate, you need to recommit your life to Him. You know the Lord, but truthfully, you're not walking with Him. You're not waiting on Him. You're not walking in a real relationship. It's really more of just something of the past, something on the surface, but it needs to be reset in your heart. You need to recommit your way to the Lord. And the Lord would meet you in this moment as well. And I'd love to pray for you. So if you're here today and you want to receive Christ for the very first time or you need to rededicate, recommit your life to Jesus, would you just simply raise your hand where you're seated and I'm going to pray for you. God bless you. Several hands here in the center. God bless you, ma'am back there. Amen. Upstairs. God bless you. Use her as well. The back there. Amen. Any others, the Lord speaking to your heart and you need this prayer. I want to lead you. God loves you. He wants to meet you in this moment. He wants to forgive you of your sins as you come to Christ. He wants to Embrace you back into the family if you're rededicating, coming home to Christ. Amen. There in the center, up front here as well. Any others? The Lord speaking to you. We're going to pray. Just before I pray, anyone else? Amen. others. All right, let's pray. And so, Lord, we do thank you for 
these hearts responding to your word today. The reminder of who you are. But Lord, the reminder of how much you love us. So much that you sent your only son to die for us on the cross. That we might be forgiven of our sins. That we might be able to come to you with confidence today and say, Jesus, forgive me. I can't do it in my own strength. I could never be good enough or righteous enough. I need your help. Cleanse me and forgive me by the blood that you shed at the cross. And then fill me with your spirit and begin to strengthen me to live for you. And to walk in relationship with you, Lord. I I need your help. I'm not perfect. I'm not going to be perfect. But Lord, I want my heart to be walking with you. Jesus, I pray that you would meet each heart and that they would soar with wings of eagles, that they would run and not grow weary, that they would walk and not faint, that they would be strengthened here today as they acknowledge their weakness and need before you. We thank you, we love you, and we pray a strengthening in all of our hearts, Lord, today, that we might be reminded of just who you are, and how you have committed yourself to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.